Hey, this is John Willis again, another uh, profound podcast, uh, the, you know, based on the general idea of Deming system of profound knowledge. Uh, we've got a really interesting guest today because we, uh, this our conversation actually started over sort of a, a, a Twitter debate on pragmatism and epistemology. And I thought, and I was corrected, you know, not that I know everything. In fact, I know very little, really. That's why I invite smart people on my podcast um, that it was corrected um, on the way I was thinking about it. Uh, you want to introduce yourself? Uh, uh, sure, John. Uh, first up, thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, I'm not sure if I fit in the list of August guests you had earlier on the podcast, but I sure am a disciple of Dr. Deming. So uh, I'm happy to be here. Um, I, you know, I don't like to talk much about my history, but I, I want to spend a couple of minutes because it's very pertinent to the conversation we're going to have. Um, I spent the first eight years uh, of my professional life as a consultant, uh, but that left me deeply ungratified. I had no idea what happened to the recommendations that I were giving to my clients and all those short-term engagements. Uh, what happens when the rubber meets the road? Uh, did it work? How effective was it? What were the long-term implications of my recommendations? I had no clue. And so I really wanted to go to the other side of the table, become my customer, and own security programs for the long term. Uh, and, uh, and so that's exactly what I did. I spent the next 11 years at PayPal uh, in various leadership roles, owning uh, different security programs. And, um, you know, that's where I learned to take some accountability for my decisions, long-term implications of it, you know, made a lot of mistakes, fell down, accumulated some scar tissue, learned to pick myself back up and go at it again. And I learned a lot of lessons. And that's where I really got exposed to systems thinking and gained a much deeper understanding of uh, Dr. Deming's work. Uh, in my current role, I lead product security, platform security, and enterprise security at LinkedIn and all uh, uh, applying the uh, lessons that I learned in the past. Uh, needless to say, what I'm gonna discuss here today in the podcast are obviously my own learnings and my own opinions and all errors are mine too. That's great. Yeah, no, um, I think that, you know, um, you know, normally I'll ask a guest, you know, what do you think the impact of Deming is on, but but I think you're pretty deep into the Deming discussion. So we'll go dive into the, the heavy stuff right off the bat. Um, you know, the two areas uh, for people who listen to podcasts, so there's four lenses that Deming in his last sort of work called System Profound Knowledge. You know, there were four lenses. Um, and and you know, one of the reasons I think we started even having this conversation on Twitter is his um, theory of knowledge. And, and, you know, what I've learned through my research is a lot of that was influenced by, um, by a philosophy called uh, pragmatism. And, and and I think the, the you know I had said that um, uh, uh, pragmatism is epistemology, and you corrected me. And so let let's start there, but let's save some time for Deming's other lens, which is uh, appreciation of systems. So I think those are, are two really interesting areas to dive as deep as we can into. Absolutely. So as you rightly put it, uh, there are four parts to the system of profound knowledge that Dr. Deming um, gave us. Um, the first one is appreciation of the system, uh, knowledge of variation, theory of knowledge, which is basically a fancy word for like the fancy word for it is epistemology, and then obviously psychology. And all four parts are important, 
um, in the sense that there's actually a fifth part like that's the meta part that talks about how they all kind of work together. Mm. Um, and uh, as you called out, we can just dive into the two aspects of epistemology and, and systems thinking. And the way I want to uh, drive this conversation is just kind of kind of connecting the dots to leadership, uh, which is kind of my focus area as well, like what that means for leadership. So let me start out with uh, systems thinking first, and then I'll kind of build upon uh, epistemology. So Deming actually chose his words wisely. Uh, he said appreciation of systems. Uh, he did not say understanding or just be aware. Um, he kind of assumed we already knew what systems were. Uh, and, and so he didn't. Ne he never gave us any methodology or anything. So I don't want to get into that now. Um, but in order to appreciate Dr. Deming's work, um, like how you can't appreciate democracy uh, with the, uh, you know, you can't appreciate democracy as deeply as someone who has lived under a dictatorship, right? And so, if you have to appreciate Deming, then you need to uh, you need to understand what Taylorism is. Uh, and Frederick Taylor, who gave us uh, the original scientific management, um, you know, his philosophy kind of dehumanized people, and it, it just made them a cog in the in the, in the machine. Um, the fundamental problem um, was that Frederick Taylor had only analytical sciences back then, like physics and chemistry, but not system sciences. Uh, and analytical uh, thinking uh, is actually analytical reductionist thinking, and systems thinking is the very opposite of it. Um, uh, what really happened to Taylorism um, in today's management, the way it's reflected is, oh, we need to motivate our people with carrots and sticks, pay for performance, and we need to hold them accountable and, and stuff like that. Uh, but Deming said, look, all of that is, is nonsense. If you actually truly apply science, uh, science of the systems, uh, understand people's psychology, how they are motivated and stuff like that, then um, you the, 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 the only conclusion that you can come to is you can never blame people um, or the culture. You only have to focus on the system. And then the question may be like, why, why don't you want to focus on the behavior? Uh, and I want to give a very simple example. Uh, so I you obviously grew up uh, in India and I immigrated to the US. And when I drive in India, like I'm sure a lot of your listeners know how traffic is, is the traffic system is in India. It's chaotic. Uh, nobody keeps their lanes. You honk a hundred times before you get to your destination. Uh, nobody follows uh, traffic signals. They're mere suggestions. They're, they're not mandates. Uh, even if a cop catches you, you can just bribe him 100 rupees or whatever and, and get, out of your, uh, get out of your way. And so, but uh, when I drive in India, like even if I, every time I visit now, that's how I drive. But I catch a flight, land here in SFO, get my car out of long-term parking. I'm driving perfectly, right? I'm, I'm the safest driver on the road. I keep my lane and, and so on and so forth. Now, am I at fault? Is my behavior at fault when I was driving in India? No, the, the understanding here is that the underlying structure of the system is the one that drives its behavior. And, and uh, that's the uh, eye-opening aspect of systems thinking that leaders need to understand. Um, and even Goldratt uh, talks about, if you listen to beyond the goal, 
he'll talk about the importance of no one do any finger pointing at people and, and just uh, go and fix the system instead. Yeah, no. And just uh, I made a mistake once of me and a friend hiring a car to drive us to Agra from mm-hmm. New Delhi. And I, I feared my life every second of that. Job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. so, um, yeah, no, I think the, the system's thinking, I, I guess, um, you know, where, where does that c- c- come from? You know, I've, I've gone back and I've tried to figure out, you know, the, the epistemology story is in, in the Deming's, Deming's narrative is a little easier, right? Like, you know, one of the things that he said is Schuert, um, recommended it. He read C.I. Lewis's Mind in the World Order. Mm-hmm. And he, um, and in fact, one of the reasons I wanted to get Jabe on the podcast is if Deming said he had to read it six times, he didn't understand it. I figured out I'm doomed. So let me get a smart person to help me. But um, so, but, but you can understand a little bit about sort of inductive or deductive. You talked about uh, that, you know, you can sort of, you, you can get a fair amount of information from philosophy on epistemology. But I, one thing I do wonder is, where do you think he got his thoughts around systems thinking? Was that sort of natural or um, because there's appreciation of system? Um, I think he kind of developed that over a period of yeah. uh, years, working through multiple stuff. Uh, that part is like, that's still a mystery um, yeah. because he he never really talked about his methodology of he he told us yes you need to appreciate systems yeah. but he never gave us any methodology was, you, or, yeah you made yeah. that point which is really cool right like for some reason he just figured that we all understood naturally what that was yeah so then he gave us the blueprint of why we should do it exactly and, yeah and and we actually meet people like that uh in our life they're very rare and they're intuitive systems thinkers uh and and, um what really happens to many of us is we go through the school education system and we become analytical thinkers uh and and that's that i think is a critical point to note and then you know we talked a little bit about um you know what what sort of where that sort of body so to Deming's got this career and he's, and I think you're right. He's, there there are these rare kinds that can just think, you know, some people call it left brain, right brain ability Mm -hmm. to be able to do both analytics and sort of um, would say part of that is assistant thinking. I I would also say his experience with the, with Japan and that culture, the intrinsic nature of it expanded his way to view that. Um, But then there's a lot that happens along the way, right? Like you've got, um, You've got uh, Senge and you've got, you know, sort of a lot of that work that's really expanded. In fact, one of the things I like that you said is that, like, there's a sort of fifth part of the um, uh, of the system of profound knowledge. It, it sort of reminds me of what fifth discipline is all about, right? Which is, here's these four disciplines and the fifth discipline is how to put all these together in umbrella, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I know we never, like, dive deep into, um, I think we, for our listeners, we have to set some context about Dr. Deming and kind of stitch that together. Yeah, I'd like to tell some stories uh, so that it's easy for people to understand what systems thinking is. What do I mean by that? What did Deming mean by that? Actually? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good. And how it really applies to the different walks of our life. Uh, be, you know, I, I want to dive deep into three different aspects of how I applied systems thinking uh, to health, 
as a parent and then as a leader. And so when we dive into the details of it, I think people can easily grok that. And so first, I, I want to start from explaining, uh, I think I heard this from Peter Schultes, and I'm obviously paraphrasing this. Uh, I think he was talking about uh, US uh, News and World Report back in 1991 or something like that, that listed revolutionary thinkers, uh, people who actually contributed to the discontinuity of human thought mm. over the years. Love it. And it starts from St. Paul, who said, hey, Christianity is not just for Jews. And then Copernicus said, the earth is not at the center of the universe. Darwin was the next revolutionary thinker. And he said, look, we're not specially designed or created, but we evolved from lower life forms. And then Freud, who showed us that there's so much uh, about ourselves that we don't understand or, or can't control or predict. And where Deming's contribution is, he said, everything is a system and we're part of it starting from the multiverse to the universe, to the galaxies, to the solar system, to the earth, <laughs> and, and, and to us, everything is a system. And that's the profound um, uh, thought that Deming brought to the table. The first time I learned about Deming, I didn't really get him, uh, like many people do. They, they all, we all know that he's the father of quality, but not a lot of us know about his management principles, right? And the leadership philosophy that Deming actually gave us is the first fundamentally new management philosophy. It's kind of the equivalent of the transition from Newton to Einstein. Einstein did not build on top of Newton's theory of gravity, right? Uh, or make small corrections to it. He completely uprooted it, <laughs> threw it out the window completely. Uh, that's a good metaphor because just like how many of us still think that gravity is a force. <laughs> Newton proved that it is not. It's, it's merely the curvature of uh, space around mass and energy. Uh, that's the explanation of gravity. And we all still believe and act as if gravity is a force. Uh, and similarly, the management philosophy of Frederick Taylor is still around, even though Deming uh, gave us this management philosophy. But if you've read his works, and if you're not completely shaken up, and deeply unnerved about the implications of Dr. Deming's teachings, then you haven't truly understood them. I have literally shed tears reading his books and listening to his videos about my own mistakes as a leader uh, when, when he started opening my eyes. So that's, that's the power of Dr. Deming's teachings. And, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, as you mentioned, like his work in Japan, like that's well known, but his contributions are much needed in today's world, yeah. like the right now, um, you know, like, and, and it's actually, he's impacting us right now uh, in different ways, cars that don't break down, cell phones whose component tolerances are now measured in nanometers. Mm -hmm. uh, he is impacting our lives every day, but we need more of it today, especially in the middle of a global pandemic. Supply, ch supply chain issues, and more existential uh, threats like climate change, all of these require systems thinking to solve uh, holistically. Personally, I, I want to talk about um, how Dr. Deming impacted me as a leader, as a parent, approach to problem solving, health, learning, and so on. So let me actually start with health. Uh, with pandemic, a lot of people are obviously focused on health and, and uh, worried about the pandemic pounds they've put on and so on and so forth. 
So let me start there and then I'll go into parenting and then I'll go into leadership. So on health, um, like a lot of us might have heard Deming uh, talk about in YouTube videos about um, in his own voice, you should imagine <laughs> me saying this, I'll tell you what's more important than meeting specifications, it's continuous improvement. Yeah. What is Deming telling us there? He's saying, hey, don't focus on the results. Don't focus on the output. Don't focus on the goals. Manage your means as in means to the end. Focus on your means. And um, I've tried losing weight in the past. Uh, and uh, all I've had is short-term success. Like I've, I, I try to lose, I have a goal. Like I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to lose 15 pounds. And I work really hard at it. I go sweat it out at the gym and I eat salads and whatnot. And I lose that. And then I celebrate. And then after a year, I have gained it all back. I have never really learned anything from it. And so when I, um, uh, January 2020 is when I decided, okay, I've learned so much about systems thinking at work and I've applied them. I've got some amazing results. Everything is a system. Why should I not apply systems thinking to my own health? And so when I started that soul searching, it, came, it became very obvious to me what I need to do, which is I have to focus on my means. So this time when I wanted to lose weight, I never set any goals, no weight loss goals. And what I ended up uh, with was I actually lost 45 pounds and I've kept it off. It's been almost two years now. We're, we're in November 2021. And even if I had set some goals, the, the subtle point that we need to note here is I might have said, let's 2x my past record, which is 10, 10 pounds. So I might have set a goal of 20 pounds. And so when you focus on your goals, goals can really become your limiting factor in a way. Right. And right. so you should really focus on your means. And so what I did differently is I focused on four aspects, which is food, sleep, stress, and exercise. Mm -hmm. I researched a lot. My whole pantry has changed. In fact, my whole um, household has become very healthy. My wife has become healthy. My daughter has become healthy. Uh, our pantry has changed. The what we eat has changed. Uh, I track my sleep very carefully and religious about it and so on and so forth. Basically, my lifestyle has transformed. And uh, that I chased health and weight loss happened as a result. And the other aspect that, that I want to call out is that your body is a system and so is food. Uh, and so our body evolved over millions of years to process whole foods. That's why kind of fortification of vitamins and calcium and supplements like that aren't as effective as read, eating real and whole foods. I'll give you a simple example, like fruits. Fruit obviously has sugar in it, like fructose and glucose and whatnot, but it also comes with fiber. It's, it's packaged in such a way so that it doesn't spike your blood glucose and whatnot, and the body processes it and slowly absorbs it. On the other hand, if you have fruit juices, that's, that's, that's not normal to the body. Sure, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, and it gives you that sugar rush, and, and it pains uh, me that I've given my own daughter fruit juices thinking that it's healthy for her instead of giving whole fruits. And it goes back to now you can imagine what problem refined carbohydrates and processed food is doing to all of us. The, the fundamental problem is today's nutrition science is taking a very reductionist view um, on nutrition. Uh, that's the problem. This is what Michael Pollan calls as nutritionism. 
Today's nutrition science takes the nutrition out of the context of the food, the food out of the context of the diet, and the diet out of the context of the lifestyle. And so you got to think of the whole. You yeah. cannot just you cannot think reductively. And so that's the problem with analytical thinking, like is what is a lab? <laughs> analytical scientists always talk about the lab. The lab is basically taking the environment <laughs> out of the picture. Uh, I'm just reminded of what the Harvard uh, Law of Animal Behavior says. It says, <laughs> under precisely controlled experimental conditions, a test animal will behave as it damn well pleases. <laughs> and so, and so when you when you apply reductionist thinking, That's then right. your, your conclusions are going to be very different. And so here's the takeaway for, for the listeners. Eat real food. As in, that's incredibly hard uh, than you imagine. Uh, a simple tip for that is don't eat anything that your grandmother or great-grandmother, depending on how old you are, would not recognize as an ingredient uh, in a food. And don't allow a corporation to process your food as much as you can. Cook your own food and manage your health by means. Don't chase weight loss goals. Focus on your means, focus on health, and weight loss will happen automatically. So that whole philosophy of management by means versus management by results also applies to parenting. Let me just pivot to parenting now. And so... Um, the, the learning there for me was don't blame the behavior of the kids. Focus on the system. Uh, I'll kind of touch upon it when, when we talk about leadership. I gave the example of the traffic uh, and how I drive. Right. And so that's why the behavior aspect should be completely out of the question. We should only focus on the systems. And what's happening in the school is the same problem, which is our school system and the education system gets the kids to focus on the grades. Yeah. When the kids focus on the grades, they'll compromise on their means, which is learning. That's why, like, I, I can talk for myself, and I'm sure a lot of listeners can empathize with this, which is I've forgotten the vast majority of what I learned in school and college because I was so focused on grades. I never really learned a lot of things. Uh, I only remember the things that interest me the most right. and that I'm passionate about. And so uh, Alfie Cohn talks about, uh, all of this, and I highly recommend Alfie Cohn's works on this. Uh, he has really applied Dr. Deming's philosophies and principles when it comes to kids and education and whatnot. Um, he talks about how, like, you know, when the easy way to look at whether kids are focusing on grades or, or whether they're truly enjoying the learning is when a teacher gives out a book report and gives an option of multiple books, and most of the kids would just pick the thinnest possible book they can because yeah. they want to get good grades. But when your daughter brings home like a 400 page book because she really loves that story, then, you know, like that's one of the proud moments you can have as a parent because your daughter is truly focusing on the learning. And so um, another tip is like on the behavioral aspects, right? Um, she was actually, you know, working, uh, doing her school work uh, in the middle of a pandemic because we're all in, in doing remote work, remote schooling. Mm -hmm. And so my wife caught my daughter playing online games in another Chrome tab. She was working on a Chromebook. And so the typical reaction of most parents would be, hey, let's block the website. Let's apply parental controls. Let's punish her. Let's give her timeouts. Let's warn her. But instead, what I did was I sat down with her and said, hey, look, write down A through Z continuously in a paper, write down one through 26, 
write down your name, uh, you know, uh, and and is awesome, like name is awesome or whatever. And then her school name, like blah, blah, elementary school uh, is awesome. And so we have these four columns of words and it took her like two minutes to complete that. Now I asked her, now write one character from each of those columns, A, one, and then her first character of her name, and then the first character of her school, B, two, and so on and so forth. Now, it took her more than four times. It took her more than eight minutes to complete that. And in the process, she had to, like, she made a lot of mistakes because of context switching and multitasking. So yeah. that, now she understood, oh, wait, I, when I multitask, it takes me more time to actually complete the work. And I'm also making a lot of mistakes. My quality is suffering. And so when she intuitively understood that, oh, I can finish my work quickly and then I can go play more time for the, yeah, for the games. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Now she has intrinsic motivation. She understood what the, what her mistakes, what she was doing and the implications of it. And so no need for rewards and punishment, right? Create intrinsic motivation in kids. That is a very important I, lesson for, yeah. for leaders. It's funny, um, you know, I've done a lot of things in my career and there was a time where I was uh, doing a lot of education, you know, the professional education, uh, particularly mm-hmm. on, um, the, on a portfolio called Tivoli and it goes way back, but I wrote a lot of courseware for IBM at that point. And uh, I'd always have this conflict because the thing I saw when I, I mean, there was a period where I think I, I, I decided that I, I trained like 10,000 professionals in a, in a sort of some period of time. And, and the thing I saw over and over was all of the lab work was very sort of step one, step two, step three. And, and, and students would actually get like upset. You know, I'd call over and, you know, like there's a funny story. They'd call over and they'd say, the, uh, the instructions here are wrong. I'm like, okay. And, and some, somebody in printing or editing put her uppercase character in a file name that you were supposed to sort of find the example template. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, yeah, like sometimes I'd just be a jerk. I'm like, how long have you been doing Linux? <laughs> you know, <laughs> do you not realize upper and lowercase characters are sensitive in this? Uh, but, but I realized when I started writing the courses, I purposely left these gaps where, you know, it's like step one and between step one and step two, you had mm-hmm. to go back to mm-hmm. the, to, to the material. Mm-hmm. To, to find the example was in the material, but like, you know, like, so, you know, and, and, you know, people would say, Hey, you know, this, uh, this is not clear. I did this. And now it's telling me to do this. I'm like, you remember slide 15, <laughs> you know? Um, but anyway, yeah, no, I, I think it, that, that sort of, con- what do you call it? A uh, cognitive dissonance, right? Like you have to sort of force people to, and, and then one last thing that you said there is like that one of the fastest growing areas of Deming's work today Mm-hmm. is in education absolutely yeah absolutely absolutely, absolutely.